So I'm uh, not well practiced at this right at the moment. <laughs> Taking a month off sort of throws off my glib. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm just getting back, uh, my wife and I are just getting back from my 50th high school reunion, which is quite a, was quite a treat. It was quite a, kind of a love fest and uh, in central Ohio. Uh, and uh, uh, many of the people I haven't seen in 50 years, literally. But it was a, it was a lot of uh, enjoyment. There was a lot of uh, real heartfelt connection. Even if you didn't remember who the person was, it didn't matter. <laughs> Somehow sharing that time together is so impressionable. Those years when you're trying to figure out who you are and you're using your classmates to discover that, those classmates sort of carry part of your identity along with you. It's very interesting, actually. And, but I remember uh, having a conversation with a, a, a dear friend I've known for much longer than 50 years, and we were chit-chatting about movies we had seen or something uh, uh, trivial. And I said, oh, I, I saw a really good, nice movie with Juliana Moore about Alzheimer's. Uh, he said, I'd never watch that. He said, I'd never watch that. So, <laughs> end of conversation. As a, I thought I was opening ourselves up to being, you know, to having a connection about, <laughs> about what being 68 means. <laughs> but I, I, some people didn't want to hear that. And so, uh, fair enough. Fair enough, but uh, those of us who have gathered together here are here to share what it means to be whatever age we are. And uh, what it means then is to move into more conscious living, to a more conscious space, to a, a place of light where we're not afraid of the darkness that we have lived within the veil of our darkness. That's what I'd like to speak about tonight. I, I entitle this talk, uh, the continua of practice uh, from shadow to light, from shadow to light. But really it's about uh, how uh, we start out self-divisively in self-division and we come into a wholeness, a wholeness of spirit. And it's the, it's the traverse of, of going from darkness, our shadowed area, our shadow side, into and out, into the, the light of of awareness, the light of consciousness, the light of, of what's revealed with all of its, uh, with all of its blemishes and what just the, 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 the face of life, what's the face of life, not to what do I want it to be. And uh, so, you know, it's easy when you're a child to cover your eyes and say, you know, just have it all go away, please. In some ways, uh, we're not quite as blatant in our tendency to shut things out uh, in terms of uh, holding our arms or hands up to our eyes, but we still carry that uh, knee-jerk response to, to shield ourselves from the light of reality. And uh, I understand why that occurs. It's uh, based in fear. But we're gathered here, you know. We're, we're a safe tribe of ourselves. And... Together, I'm hoping that uh, we can uh, mount some courage as a group to start moving into some of these uh, more darkened areas. And so uh, tonight, I would like to talk a little bit about that. 
the one component uh, that I think is very important to understand as we begin to discuss this is that the sense of you and I, the sense of ourselves, right? You have a sense of yourself. Well, that's in the shadows. That's not in the light. We like to think it's in the light, but it's not. It's in the shadows. Uh, and we think that we're looking out from light into light. We think we're, we're being aware. And uh, what we see is an accurate depiction of reality as it is. But actually what happens is that the sense of ourselves is by definition in the darkness of our own unconscious. We don't have a good feeling or a good understanding of what that sense of ourselves is, which is the definition of being unconscious. And so we are trying to manipulate or move our spiritual journey from being unconscious. When we look out from being unconscious in the dark shadows of ourselves, there feels like there's a narrative back there that's kind of telling us what to do and how to do it. It's a little bit like the narrative of a film, you know, the, that, that voice that comes into the depiction of a film. Uh, it's sort of telling you what you're seeing in the film. Well, that's very much like what we are within the shadows of our own unconscious. We're a narrative somehow that we believe very fully in. And that narrative has its own, uh, has its own persuasion. It has its own reference. It has its own worldview. It has its own uh, indulgences. It has its, its, its own uh, goals. And uh, we kind of blithely follow that because we think that that's the truth of what we need to do. But whenever you ascribe truth to the unconscious, you know there's going to be distorting quality. By definition, truth is the absence of unconsciousness. So if the truth of what we proclaim life and our spiritual lives, our spiritual journey to be, comes from the unconscious, then you know there's going to be distorting quality upon what it says to us about everything, really. All facets of what and how it sees life by the very nature that it's unconscious, you see? And we don't get a, we don't get a sense of that. We, don't, we really believe what we are telling ourselves or hearing from ourselves or, or uh, inform how we're informing ourselves. And it's, uh, it's basically an unconscious distortion of the truth. And so what we're trying to do in Dharma is to come out of that distortion so that we can be directed by conscious, consciousness, by awareness, you see? Not be encaved, enslaved to the narrative of our, of our, uh, of our, um, of our life. So, it's, it's very important because, you know, what the unconscious I, you and I, how it sees the world is it tries to continue the world so that the world works from an unconscious perspective. You see? It's, it's trying to reinforce what it already has. So it polarizes everything. It says, this is good, this is bad. I've got to stay away from here. This is what I want. It sets up a pleasure pain, a pain principle. 
uh, which uh, deny certain aspects of life and ascribes to others. And it tries to move itself in accordance to that particular ideal of pleasure pain. Well, if the ideal is coming from the unconscious, <laughs> then you know it's going to be distorted. In fact, that's what Dharma practice is, is to learn the distortions of our life, to see how it is that we, we keep tripping over uh, the, important, the important aspects of life that we just assume to be true, which are in fact not true. And certainly the pleasure, pain, polarities that we project upon the world is one indication of that. That's what keeps us so long in our judgment, you see, because the judgments come from the unconscious. They come from wanting to keep things in place, to keep things assured, to keep things steady and, most importantly, defined. But that's all the, that's unconscious tendency because there is no definition for life. And that scares us to the point where we rally back into our unconscious and try to, okay, I can work this thing a little bit, but I don't want to go too far into this, this conscious stuff. It gets a little scary out there. So we're constantly interfacing with our fear, our fear, just as our, my friend did on the 50th reunion. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about Alzheimer's. It's too, it hits home, it hits too close to home. I remember as a hospice worker, uh, we thought that uh, we would do uh, talks on hospice care to uh, the elderly in nursing homes. Well, no one showed up. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's the population we serve. But no, no, it hit, it hit to home. It hit home too, uh, too, too nakedly. So that's fair enough. So you get a sense that, and this is an important point, darkness fears the dark. But light does not fear darkness. You see, that these truisms, you can hear, can guide our practice. So that if you are resistant to... Uh, darkness, if you don't know something or you're, something's ill-formed in front of you or something you have been denying it hasn't been fully um, uh, opened to, you'll, there'll be fear because darkness fears what's there. That's, what, that's the, the manifestation of darkness is that it fears what it does not know. It's another way of saying this. And so we have to, to, to come out of this shadowed encasement of ourselves, which is the beginning of the continuum. We have to ch change the script. We have to go places that we normally wouldn't go. We have to invest some curiosity and interest into aspects of our life that we would normally stay away from. And you can feel the fear of doing that, which limits the progress that each of us will make towards light when we resist coming into light because of the fear relationship we have to what we might see. And that, that's where I want to encourage us as a group 
to be a little more uh, courageous. This thing really works on your, each of our intentions to move ourselves forward, not to stay listening to the Dharma, because you can listen to the Dharma from your darkness. It sounds great. It gives you an image of light. It doesn't give you light. It gives you an image of what life could be in light, which sounds great, opening and being quiet and all the other things that we proclaim light to be. That sounds wonderful, but if you stay engaged within the fear of our base camp, nothing, nothing really progresses. That's why this whole thing depends upon each of us moving ourselves forward. You know, if, you, if we don't, if we refuse, believe me, life will come at us and show it to us anyway. None of us are going to escape illness, perhaps Alzheimer's, sickness and death, none of us. I mean, that's what got the Buddha's attention to begin with. Oh my God, I've been denying this, I've been avoiding this, and it's in front of my face, I better pay attention. And so I'm, I'm hoping that these talks, especially as I get older and have limited time, my hope for each of you is that it ignites something in us, a courage, a courage really, a courage and an interest uh, to really move into areas uh, in which that darkness, uh, that darkness is, can be revealed. And one of, one of the things that happens as we progress along the way, I'm kind of just freestyling some of this tonight, but one of the things that I, I want to talk about that um, I, I really feel is important is that as we grow into uh, an orientation to light out of shadow, uh, we, we start releasing ourselves from ideologies. In fact, I have a deep revulsion to ideology. And I don't think that's too uh, calm of a word. Because uh, ideologies uh, are just, first of all, points of view and points of contention. And I don't care whether they're political ideologies, spiritual ideologies. You can see the landscape of what ideological thinking has done to us as a species. And the darkness of ourselves really form ideologies in the gray, shadowed areas to proclaim our sense of purpose and meaning in life and to form our tribe within other people who ascribe to the same, same thought. Well, it's time that we uh, put this aside. You know, one of the things that I, on my 65th reunion was a, that I never, political persuasion didn't matter to me at all. What mattered to me with these people, and we had a large class, we had something like 450 in our class, was, was the connection, the heart, the, the space of delight in the meeting, of the shared experience we all had at a very formative time in our youth. And to, to really focus in on that rather than the encrustation of layers of layers of darkness that each of us have been formed within 
for and through those 50 years. All the ideas we have about ourselves and all the reactivity that we bring to any conversation in which the party we're speaking to is different than our own. It's time to put an end to that now. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if we're going to survive as a species, we have to end ideology. Right? So proclaiming oneself to be anything, including a Buddhist, is really nonsensical. It doesn't help. It just hinders the movement forward. So I think that's, a, that's an per, per, uh, important thing. And remembering that the, the idea here is to let truth in, you know, so that we want to see things. We really want to know what life is free of our distorting quality that we place upon it. And to do that, there has to be, you know, the willingness to look into those distorting qualities. It, they don't go away because we wish them away. They go away because we understand what we've been doing that's distorting. And we are willing now to stop doing it. And so that's, that's an important point, I think, because it's truth in and then truth out. Once truth gets in, then the organism responds in like manner. And that's the Dharma. Truth in, truth out. Not truth in, shadowed, not true through shadowed darkness, responding reactively within that shadow. That's the way, that's our normal consciousness. This is truth in, truth out. Hmm? Now let's just, let's just explore a moment what, a, what the shadow and how the shadow is created, because I'd like to get some sense of how, how what is all, what, what's happened? What's happened here? <laughs> you know, why, why has this happened? We can sense that it has happened, but what's going on that we perpetuate its happening? It wasn't a one-time affair. It's something that we have consented and agreed to continue. Now, uh, so w how's the shadow formed? this darkness. Well, any time we turn away from something, we create a linkage to the direction we're going and an equal and opposite linkage to that which we are turning away from. Now, the shadow uh, is just that. The shadow is what we have turned away from and deny so that we can have totally what we wish the world as an idea, as a fact, as an object, or whatever it is that we're chasing in our mind, that particular object, that particular line of pursuit can be indulged in. Usually it's circumstantial and it comes very quickly, you know, the, I don't like this, I like that, I want to change this, I wish I had that, all of that is created in the friction, in the conflict of shadow versus persona, shadow versus reality. So the shadow is what, and when we internalize what we like and we don't like about ourselves, we'll find that there is much to, dis, much to, de, to detest within each one of us and much to appreciate within each of us. And because we have been selectively reinforced and those 
parts throughout our life, we have that, that charged energy to part of our psyche that we do not like and want nothing to do with. And we have the part of us that has been socially well received, and that part we have tried to foster and encourage forth. So we have grown up shadowed within our own consciousness. And in order for us to live, we have to keep ourselves bundled, boundaried, protected from what we feel is that increased pressure in our consciousness because, you see, it's not that the shadow, although we project it externally, it's still an internal receptivity. We still have those same qualities, whether we like them or not, they're still there. But now, because we don't like them and we so much appreciate half the equation and not the other half, that sense of leaning creates the fear in having the other reveal itself in us. And I could feel that in the 50th reunion as people who have, who have lived their life, you know, in, in, self, in a self-divided way. We're, we're, we're con- we're, I mean, you feel it in almost every interaction. We're kind of apologetic for being the way they were or very quickly would come back with a defensiveness. Uh, and you go, oh, you know, I, I, listen to me, listen to me. I love you just the way you are. Just, just listen to that. That is the absolute truth. I don't care what you're expressing. I don't care what, what's manifesting in it. You don't have to do this anymore. That's what I would have liked to have said. I didn't say that because you don't say that. You nod and you, you come up and you give them a hug. That's what, that's what I would end up doing. But it's time to check ourselves out here. Because when you don't like something that's that impactful, that forceful inside of you, it doesn't go away. Understand that. You just project it out. You can't stand it in you, so you give it to somebody else to have. And then you hate them for having the quality that you have in yourself. And you stay away from them because they're being arrogant. Right? Why? Because we hate our own arrogance. can't stand it when I'm arrogant. We don't, see, there's no love there. There's no relaxation. There's no, okay, just bring it on, you know, what the hell. And there are a lot of times, you know, I, there were a lot of times when I could have been very tense in this 50th reunion, believe me, because old conditioning comes out of you when you are around people who brought that out early on. Uh, and so it wasn't always pretty to be who you were <laughs> at age 18. <laughs> it was, but it was very interesting to me. I found it tremendously healing. And one of the ways I found it healing was that you had an opportunity to be with these people in which you formed your identity and in which you could now relax to the identity that you, have, you are living with, within that same group of people. You know, that, those are the ones that were the sort of special people of, of the class, the, the most beautiful women and the most athletic men. Like, that's gone, you know. <laughs> 
at 68, you don't see that anymore. <laughs> and so you just, there's a healing that goes on now. You see, you see what was under there all along. Because all their skills and their, and their appearances have now melt, melted. And so it's like, oh, this was there all the time. Wow, hello. Let me meet you now, free of all that stuff. You see, so, so those of you who uh, might avoid your reunions, I do think there's a very beautiful healing quality to it uh, in being able to just relax with yourself and relax with others. To give yourself a chance to, to do that. So I, I, um, I, I, uh, the, the fact is, you see, when we, when we throw part of ourselves out of our consciousness, they, it goes into the shadow. doesn't mean that we don't have those same tendencies. We've just tried to calcify those tendencies away from us. So it leaves a symptom, right? A symptom that's usually unattended. And that symptom has some form of fear or anxiety associated with it or uh, some sense of self-debasement or some some extraordinary pain associated with it and and so we can trace back the shadows of ourselves through that symptom through that symptom search when you have a symptom when you feel defensiveness that's a symptom you start tracing that defensiveness back you don't reinforce the defense you think oh what am i what's going on here you look the right way you look towards the shadow not away from it you look away from the shadow you harden the shadow you look towards the shadow you begin to bring it to light looking towards the shadow by definition is bringing light into the darkness right moving from the darkness by shoring up your defenses is just making you darker just use some logic here so, okay, so, uh, oh, I was defensive in, the, in that moment. Now give yourself, that's where self-appreciation comes in. You say, okay, let me, let me check that out. Let me look at that. Let me look at my defensiveness. What was going on there? And sometimes in the moment you can't do it, but in memory you can. So you get off into your, a room where you're alone and you think, okay, let me bring that moment when that person said this or that and this reaction came from me. Let me, let me bring that back into awareness. Then you just begin to see what it is. Oh, I, I was afraid of revealing my prejudice. I was afraid of revealing something dark inside of me. Well, now's a great time to explore that. That's the courage. That's the courage. That's how it's done. We're like a, a bloodhound sniffing our way through this thing. It's not obvious, you know. We're, these things are shut off from consciousness for a reason. In fact, some people deal with, I was reading this book on the shadow, and I'm having some problem with this thing. Anyway, uh, and one of this, I mean, it was a bunch of psychologists who had written a, a, a series of essays on the shadow, and one of them had said uh, something about there's no way to uh, explore the unconscious. By definition, it's beyond exploration. I thought, Jesus, talk about sealing your fate. That's nonsense. 
on to the next essay. I mean, people don't understand how to do this thing. Uh, and some of the more professional people included. But this can be done. It has to be done from stability, not from neurosis. Because that's darkness reacting to darkness. And that just feeds the whole bonfire of our enslavement. So it has to be done from, okay, let me just, okay, let me, I want to get out of this thing. From intentionality. Now let me look and see what's going on here. And what you begin to notice that if every time we define something, I say, I'm looking for one thing. By definition, we have enclosed the world off so that that which is not being noticed or being pursued is outside of that which is. That's it. So you think, okay, so the, really the shadow begins with each definition. Each time I define something because I'm saying it's this way but, and so there can't be any other way. And you go, okay, so there's already a tension there. You see, this is how subtle it gets. But it's beautiful. Here's what, it's not just in Buddhism. Here's a Christian, St. Augustine said, to act is to sin. To create is to destroy. You see, okay, so my interpretation of that is that as soon as you compel yourself in one way, you have denied a certain aspect of life in the opposite. And so, we're, and we actually, we're doing that all day long, and we're sort of constantly creating the forces of good and evil within each act and description and point of view we hold. And this is an internalized projection. We're constantly doing this to the world and to ourselves within it. So it's, we want life one way. We want it to be pleasurable and not painful. We want it to be pure and not sinful. We want it to be happy without discontent. We want it to, be, to love without hate and all of that stuff. It's nonsense. It's not, you're not going to ever find that. You know that. I don't have to say that. But that doesn't keep you from searching for it, does it? You think emotionally that you can find it that way. Even though you're much more sophisticated intellectually than that. But there's a deep yearning towards some sense of purity, especially if you define yourself as spiritual. And saying, I've, I've risen, risen above that kind of behavior. You haven't risen above anything. Get back down in the muck. That's where you'll find yourself. Or at least half yourself. This is hard work. And it doesn't allow a glorified you. Because you are not glorified. You're coming from pitch darkness. Until we realize that fact and want to know and understand what is at the heart of this decision making, this willful intention, this energetic goal orientation. What's at the heart of that? What's leading that? What's pushing that forward? Not what it's telling me to do, but who is it that's telling me to do it? That's where we'll really shine the light on the darkness. That's where we'll begin to understand the hollow center of it all. I was listening uh, 
one year, I can't remember when, but the, the message stuck with me to NPR. It was over uh, Valentine's Day. And uh, this guy uh, says, uh, you know, he said, uh, the pain you feel after you break up is equal to the pleasure you feel as you get together. And then he went on with some very insightful ways to work with that. He says, don't throw all the letters and things away. Go through them. Go through the picture albums. Let the impact of what you had be felt. Live it so that you can really grieve it. So that you can open up. So it doesn't become a shadowed reaction to you. And then once you've gone through all of that, now throw them away. So that you heal to the pains of your life. Consciously. Rather than turning away. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about Alzheimer's. I don't want to talk about death and dying. What does that leave you? It leaves you with nothing but a pretension, but an imagination. Life is so rosy, life is done, no, my mind is done. It doesn't happen that way. It's not going to be a song and dance. Mm-mm. It's going to be a challenge. But we can work with that challenge. That's what's so beautiful about the Dharma is it gives us meat to go meet the challenge. Meat, M-E-A-T, to M-E-E-T, the challenge. It's the food for us. But we can't do it without courage and intention. So, the point is, though, that as we progress on this continuum, we are less comfortable defining life. You see? Now, that really shakes us because definitions form us. We are formed from the definitions we impart to life as I've mentioned many times. We can claim who we are by the definitions we have placed upon ourselves and life in general. That's how we know ourselves. I did this, I did that, this way I have this capability and this ability and that. I'm different than you, I'm different than that. We know each other from, from the judgments that we have created. From what we have walled off in ourselves and proclaimed ourselves to be the boundaries we have forced internally upon ourselves. That's how we know ourselves. And every definition gives us a boundary. It gives us a way to be more inclined, more aligned to an established definition. And so when you see that, you go, okay, so I don't need to do this to life. I know that the culture at large encourages definition. But that's because it's an unconscious culture. I hope you realize that. That you're not going to be wisely directed by our politicians. (laughs) That this has to come from a different source in us, right? And once you begin to get a sense of of the heart of this source, where's the meat of it? And you go, okay, so all this is all, everything I've been told, I suspend accepting. I just suspend it. I'm not going to believe it. 
In fact, you'll find that most of what we've been taught dharmically is just the opposite. Forming greater definition, more knowledge, all of that. That's fine if you're working from an unconscious perspective. It's not fine if our intention is to move into a conscious living. If we want to move into the light, we have to go through the darkness that the culture has created around us. But it's so hard because that's what has become the blueprint for our action. That's the map we take. That's how I know what the next step is to do. It's because X and Y have done that before me. And it seems safe. They did it. And then it becomes an ideology. Right? Buddhism. Buddha did it this way. Now it becomes a a map, a format of how it has always been done in the past. The life is out of it now. Life is gone. We're in some kind of ritualistic pattern of conditioning to try to program ourselves into what? Being aware, being conscious. How can conditioned mapping lead to conscious living? How can the decisions we make in the narrative of the shadow really bring us into light? Something else has to come forth from us. Something else has to be encouraged. There's a Alexander Solzhenitsyn quote that I really like. If only it were so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. It's called war. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? That's what it does, you see. That's why, you ha that's why we suspend this ideology. It's just been keeping the world from me, keeping me specially involved, mounted. Mounted. Coronated. Right? Your ideologies are coronations for your self-preservation of ideas, of image. Enough of that. E.E. E. Cummings said it this way, May your heart always be open to little birds who are the secrets of living. Whatever they sing is better than to know. Living is better than the definitions we place upon it. We are crossing over the need to form everything to be in exactitude and living, emerging ourselves into the wonder of what life actually is, how it actually manifests. That's the path. That's the path it goes. And so our spiritual journey must be without opposition, you see? must be without opposition. There's only one person in my uh, 
reunion that I just couldn't square myself with. There were a lot of childhood painful memories of this person and our interactions, and I just couldn't do it. And that's part of it, too, is the willingness to say, okay, you know, I'm not ready to forgive. I'm not ready for my heart to open to this person. I know that ultimately that healing process has to come about, but I'm not willing to push or try to make it happen. It has to happen naturally. It has to happen at a time when I say enough of this and let's just, let's just meet from a different perspective, from a different point of view. Then it happens. So we're not trying to abolish the shadow. What different, wh why would we do that? And you can also hear in that statement of what is doing that. It's the darkness doing that. I'm going to get rid of my shadow. What? Who is it that's speaking, dark? <laughs> but to understand it. But to see it. Why? Because that's light. Light dispels darkness. Darkness hardens darkness. So our intentionality, our methods have to be in alignment with light. No opposition. What is the one thing that does not oppose? If you're going to live this light, in light, we have to know that one thing that does not oppose. What is the one thing that does not oppose? Certainly your mind, you cannot find it. Your mind opposes everything. It's full of judgment and definition, reactivity and history and narrative, emotional volatility. You aren't going to find it there. What is the one thing that cannot, will not, has never and could not possibly oppose. When we ask ourselves that genuinely, we find it. We find it. And for the first time, perhaps, we have come out of the cave of ourselves. We have entered into the light of our own awareness. We have embodied the presence that is life, that is light, that is not caved, darkened, shadowed, that does not oppose, contrast, define. It just reveals. That's all it's ever done. That's all light has ever that's the one quality of light, is that it reveals. If we want revelation, revelation, let us go to that which reveals. Okay, all. Can we sit for a minute or two?
You see, that's what insight is. Insight is revelation without distortion. That's why it's so clear, so sudden, so impactful, because it shows us what the connection or whatever it is revealing without the distorting quality. It's like the Hubble telescope, right? You've just ascended beyond the distorting qualities of the Earth's atmosphere when you have an insight. Now you're looking through the purity of the lens of the Hubble. And it may only be a flash, but it's a flash you'll never forget. And all of us who have sincerely practiced have had insight. So yeah, how do you sit? You see that it changes everything when we realize the direction. That's the point of these continua that we are talking about every week. They're not just talks. They're showing us a direction, a way that's meaningful, hopefully, that aligns our spiritual intention to the direction that our heart most deeply yearns to go. It often provides or indicates methodology. It shows us what we have to do. That's what this continual series is about. So then we can look at all the methods we employ and see if they're in line with this true north of spiritual growth. We don't want to fool ourselves because your mind will fool you as it tries to be clever, as it tries to outwit the difficulties that you have to face. It's very simple. Just look. That's it. Be willing to look. Okay, so if you have any comments or questions that I can handle, I will attempt to do just that. Ones that I can't handle, I will not attempt to do. Anyone have any? Okay, so because of the video, make it very concise, short, so I can repeat it in a meaningful way and then respond to it.
Well, I mean, she's talking about a, uh, a situation at work where she realizes that she needs to address a problem with her boss or whatever it might be. And first of all, I can't, I'm not a Mr. Fix-It kind of guy. You know, I, I can't say, okay, now you need to do this. And so it's an in intuition, it's an intuitive process. And... Just be driven by what you know. You already said it, really. You know, you know that light is in this direction. And you're going to be clumsy at first in moving in that direction because you're not used to doing that and you're going to have a lot of defenses and a lot of, of regrets and a lot of fears in moving whenever we move out of darkness into light, right? So don't expect it to be this fun in, fun in games. Don't expect it to be all joyful and... Well, he said, this is really going to make my life better. This is, I'm feeling more miserable. It sometimes feels more miserable. You know, sometimes the, symptom, the symptoms of where we've been linger within us as we're coming out. The tensions, the fears, the anxiety. But we're coming out of those things. <clears throat> so you, in your question, it, you, there seemed to be the answer where you knew that the direction that you needed to go, which is clearer into the light, was in engaging with your boss around this particular thing. My suggestion is to follow your heart in that. That's all. Just start moving it in that direction at whatever speed you can go. Don't stay crouched in your own incapacity. Right? Don't do that. Or you'll never move anywhere. It's like a broken record. In the old days we had broken records. Right? And you never get over it. So take the needle. <laughs> and So she was, <clears throat> if I could talk about effort, effort uh, in terms of how it confiscates uh, our, our uh, direction with putting pressure on us and, and uh, a lot of pain associated with the effort of trying to be aware, trying to be awake, right? Um, from time to time, uh, refreshing the sense of what wakefulness is in you. You know, wakefulness is, okay, let me see if it's here without pressure. Okay, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to follow my pressure trail, right? Let me, just, let me just sit here and see if, and do this while I'm speaking, right? I'm not putting any pressure on me. Let me just see if there's awareness without my usual, usual force of effort. I just want to... 
I want to verify something. I want to see if something's true that I'm not. See, when you're coming from willful effort, you're, you're pushing it from the dark, the dark side, from Darth Vader. You're, you're, trying to, you're trying to force it out of you as if it had the best way, it knew the best tactics and methods to do that. And you say, wait a second now, the, this awareness, what's really uh, important to me, it, it has to already be in light. So let me just see whether I can sense that light from whatever position I currently am in. Now you have to be quiet. And you, just, you have to be willing to suspend your, your normal ambitions and goals. And it's as if it comes back, come this way. Don't go, effort takes you this way. You're going this way now. You're just letting it settle with you. Like uh, you're in a sauna, okay? And you're, there's nothing, all you have to do is sit there and let the heat in. The sauna pose. Uh -huh. That's how easy it is. But because our, our conditioned instincts is to try to do something from the darkness to develop light, not realizing that darkness can never develop the light, it just keeps tripping itself up all along the pursuit. We put pressure on ourselves and then we get caught in our pain body uh, circle, which, you know, I'm not doing it well enough and what's the matter with me? Why can't I do it better? And oh God, I'm failing. And, see, that's the pain of the darkness that doesn't understand anything. It's just getting caught up in its own circulation, recycling itself again and again, back and from the pain and... Uh, uh, I said, wait a second, wait, this, not the, this is not helping. <laughs> Boy, it takes a long time to realize that, isn't it? It's like, why didn't I realize that sooner? Stop biting my lip. Is that close? Sense the proximity. And don't ever forget it. Whoa. Now what is there to do? I know you have a question, Moffat. <laughs> I knew you did. <laughs> the question is that what makes the difference between love having a shadow of hate? There seems to be an asymmetry with the heart and, and love between hate. That what, makes, what qualities of love or the heart 
don't have that creating that not wanting to hate. Okay, there is no opposite to love. All heart qualities have no opposite. So, if there's no opposite to love, then love must be totally inclusive to whatever it is that arises because it's not putting it as an opposition to it. Okay, so this is important. This is key. This is not just important. This is key. What is it that has no opposition? That must be love. By definition. So that which holds all of everything the mind does. I hate. So it holds hate. It holds, meaning it, it surrounds, shows, reveals hate. It sh that which reveals hate, you know when you're hating. What is it that's showing you that hate in that moment? See, there's something that's revealing or you would not know it. You wouldn't know it unless it was being revealed to you. You may be so invested in being hateful, I'm not picking on you, I'm just using your, your own example, that, that you don't want to see that you're hateful in that moment, but it doesn't mean that it stops shining. It's there if you just say, okay, wow, let me just notice how hateful I am. There it is. It's not in opposition to the hate at all, is it? That, you can call that by many names, okay? There are many faces to God. That's the face of love. It's a face of awareness. It's a face of generosity. It's a face of openness. Those don't have any opposition. You see? They're more fundal, fundamental than that which arises out of them. They're the ground out of which everything arises out. It does not feel like romantic love or heart-beating love. It feels warm. It feels like warmth. That's when the mind is abiding in love, it emanates a kind of warmth. There's a kind of warmth, a friendliness, a kindness, a joy. It doesn't show up as a smile. doesn't show up as anything. But inside there's a kind of, I don't know, at easement is another way to say it. Just, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, we have to stop. But, next week we have a discussion group on the same topic. So come feed Feed more, you see. Don't just listen and then go off and say, well, that was interesting. What do you think? Uh, maybe the next talk will be better in this series. Uh, just feed, feed, feed. Okay, good. <laughs>